When things get darkest, we must be our brightest. We must love our hardest. You're listening to Better, and I'm your host, Mark Brand. I deeply believe that everyone has the power to leave the planet a better place than they found it. In my decades of frontline work, I've seen it happen against all odds in the toughest corners of the world. This show was created as a guide to share stories of resilience and hope from the brightest individuals who have overcome challenges we all face to help us all envision and build a better life. Every week, my incredible guests and I will give you access to the conversations we've been having behind closed doors, away from stages, and away from traditional media. Until now, we share this space with the explicit intention to empower you to be your biggest, brightest, most beautiful self, so we can build a better world together. Welcome to Better. I'm extremely honored today, and I say that with all sincerity, to have my guest attorney, advocate, all around advancing and holding the wall, uh, advocate against and for, against the patriarchy, for women's rights, for family rights, for choice. Uh, There's so many things to say, but a 20, 30 year plus career uh, in advancing the rights and the right to choose. And we are in this boilerplate moment yet again, uh, where everybody has heard Roe versus Wade in the last months, the last year. And I'm super excited to have Catherine here to help us understand not only what's happening, but what we can do as individuals. Catherine, welcome to Better. Thanks, Mark. Great to be here. Really excited to have you here. And, you know, right off the top, a huge congratulations on the TED Talk. So beautiful, so succinct. And I'd love you to start us off uh, with some of the, the highlights from there, if you wouldn't mind. Well, happy to do so, Mark, and great to be here with your audience. And, um, you know, I think what I, uh, the main point of what I said in the TED Talk and what I truly believe is that Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey, which is the case I argued in 1992, uh, are likely to be reversed by the Supreme Court of the United States. Uh, We are facing an ultra-conservative court. I've often said um, my success at the Supreme Court, uh, everything I needed I learned on Sesame Street, uh, and that's because you got to learn to count. And the only number uh, when it comes to Supreme Court litigation that matters is five, which is a majority of the justices on the court. And the bottom line is there are five justices who are prepared to overrule Roe and Casey and return the question of abortion to state legislatures who will then be free uh, to ban abortion or to otherwise restrict it in any way they see fit. Uh, And that is uh, probably the most dire times we have been for reproductive freedom uh, in my lifetime. And uh, it really uh, shows us how fragile uh, constitutional liberties, the ability to make decisions about one's body have become. uh, And it's time for action uh, for all of us to ensure that we can uh, make change going forward. Thank you for that summation. I think that you know, we all heard uh, over the last couple of years as well how hotly contested those seats were and the impact that they were going to have. But it also felt like the system itself is rigged against the ability to be able to change that in a, a really meaningful way. It feels less like a democracy when that system's at play and a little bit more like a dictatorship. How do we get to a system that works? 
Well, you know, Mark, um, the reality is, is we were 44,000 votes short. Uh, if Hillary Clinton had won the 2016 election, uh, she would have appointed at least two and maybe three justices to the court, uh, and we would have the majority. But elections matter. Uh, and, uh, you know, elections, as close as they are in our country, which is so divided on a range of issues, uh, what this says to me, and, and uh, frankly, I, I could see the end of Roe from the day that Donald Trump took the presidency. Um, what says to me is we got to work harder. Uh, we got to make sure that our uh, concerns about democracy, our concerns about protecting uh, women's rights, protecting liberties that are so critical to uh, making decisions about our families are preserved. And the only way we can do that is to exercise the franchise, to work uh, for the election of champions for choice at the state legislative level and in Congress. Uh, and remember that no good policy gets enacted until we have the political power to do so. Absolutely. And for our Canadian listeners, there is so much crossover here. So, so we understand, you know, I think often folks are like, oh, you Canadians are so great. And, you know, you're so polite and so wonderful and the systems are great. They're not. They're not. We're just really good at trying to stay out of the media. You know, with 400 million versus 36 million, it's a very different pot up this way. But the issues are exactly the same. And we end up in these same situations of it's bully ball and people just get pushed into these seats. And then we end up with legislation that does not represent the people who we want to have helped. It really, truly just toes the line of where we've been and where we continue to go. And so I think if we could take a step back uh, in the rest of this segment and just for the folks who are first understanding this issue, I think it's very hard for anybody. I know nobody in my personal circles or outside doesn't believe in choice. We believe in it, but we hear Roe versus Wade. We don't really understand the origin of this. Would you be able to break that down for us a little bit? Sure. So the Supreme Court decided in 1973 Roe versus Wade. And what they did at that time is created what I think of as the highest level of constitutional protection for the decisions to choose either abortion or to carry a pregnancy to term. So it was a reciprocal right, a right that really protected women's decision-making and women's ability to protect their bodily integrity. Um, as a result, uh, abortion was immediately legal in all 50 states. And when state legislators went to try to restrict uh, the ability to obtain abortion, uh, most of those laws were unconstitutional. Now, not, now, not all of them, but most of them were. Um, and, but in the intervening years, due to lots of hard work by those who oppose abortion, electing their members to state legislators, we began to see a number of incursions on the rights that were guaranteed by Roe. And that primarily affected uh, low-income women and teenagers uh, who uh, faced a variety of barriers to obtaining abortion, primarily the lack of funding or uh, the requirements of parental notification or consent. But in 1992, when Planned Parenthood versus Casey, my case, went to the U.S. Supreme Court, we were faced with a new court. Uh, Justice Thomas had just been confirmed. And at that point in 92, we believed that there were five justices who were prepared to overrule Roe and return the question of abortion to the states, permit bans on abortion everywhere. 
Um, and, you know, the, the reality is that's what we faced when we did Casey. Uh, we were lucky at the very last minute, uh, despite the fact that there were at least seven votes to uphold the Pennsylvania law, uh, at least five to return the question to the states, uh, Justice Kennedy, Anthony Kennedy, changed his mind at the last minute. Hmm. So Chief Justice Rehnquist had actually written a, a draft opinion that overturned Roe. Uh, but because Justice Kennedy changed his mind, he joined with uh, two other justices uh, to write what is called a joint opinion. And they basically said states uh, must permit abortion up until viability, that is, uh, usually between 24 and 28 weeks of pregnancy. Right. And um, they can't they can't ban it. But, and this is Kennedy's view, uh, we are going to let states enact restrictions on the ability to obtain, obtain abortion as long as those barriers are not what he called undue burdens on women. What happened in the next uh, two decades is we began to see state legislatures become much more controlled by the Republican Party, who was anti-abortion, state legislatures becoming more conservative, courts becoming more conservative, and a variety of those barriers uh, were upheld, enacted, and many, many uh, thousands of women were unable to obtain uh, abortions. And who does that affect? It affects low-income women, it affects teenagers, uh, primarily women of color who face other uh, discrimination and systemic racism in healthcare systems, disabled women who can't travel, women in rural areas who are far from clinics. And as a result today, and I, just the bottom line here, only 11% of the counties in this country have an abortion provider. And uh, there are six states uh, where there's only one provider. Uh, and the state of Texas, as you probably have heard through the the uh, the media that's focused on the Texas and Mississippi cases. Uh, Texas is currently banning abortion as of six weeks of pregnancy, uh, and hundreds of thousands of women are affected. My God. It's a, it's a lot to digest and also an incredibly beautiful reflection on the roadmap on how we got to where we are. Uh, my guest, Catherine, is going to come back with us in the next segment, and we're going to talk about that's where we were, where we currently are standing, and where we're going to be going. So stay tuned. You're on better. Welcome back to Better. Uh, in our first segment, we discussed... Roe versus Wade, what it is, where it comes from, and the very critical case, Planned Parenthood versus Casey, which my guest, Catherine Colbert, essentially saved us, saved us at a space that allowed for choice, that we can't even calculate the amount of women's freedoms, family impact, the impact on the, the marginalized BIPOC communities, that that has really, the impact is immeasurable. But now we find ourselves at a place where the Supreme Court is stacked, it's going in the wrong direction and that those rights may be revoked or be given to state legislators. And we've already seen what Texas has done with that. And so where does that put us, Catherine? Where, what do we need to do as individuals, as people in those states, as a voting electorate? What can we do? 
Well, Mark, let me first explain what's going on in Texas and Mississippi, because I know many of your listeners have questions about that. And uh, Texas, as you know, passed a law that not only uh, banned abortion as of about six weeks, uh, but it delegated the authority to enforce that law to individuals who could bring uh, private causes of action against providers and any person who helped a woman get an abortion. Uh, They could sue in state court for $10,000 bounty. Uh, The basic uh, goal here was to try to make sure that abortion providers couldn't sue in federal court to enforce their rights. Uh, And that's, in fact, what has happened. The case went up to the Supreme Court. It was argued very quickly. And the bottom line is they let the Texas law remain in effect. This is now the third vote of the court, five justices saying this law should take effect. They basically dismissed any notion that uh, individuals should be able to enforce their constitutional rights in federal court. And they... uh, in my view, uh, issued an opinion that is just striking in its cavalier nature about the importance of constitutional liberties uh, and basically said, you know, if this is all up to the states, the state courts and the, and the state legislatures. I was uh, blown away by the decision. Um, and uh, the only thing that matters, though, is they had five votes. Uh, and that means that the Texas law will remain in effect. Mississippi case uh, was decided uh, was uh, argued in early December, and that challenges a ban on abortion at 15 weeks, um, and directly places the constitutionality of abortion laws, all of them, uh, before the court. So, in fact, while Texas is more uh, outrageous and has drawn a lot of media attention, the Mississippi case is the one that's really critical. Because what it does is if the court upholds the 15-week ban uh, and do, does what I think they'll do, which is to completely overrule Roe and Casey, um, that means that the question of abortion goes back to the states. And we won't just have one Texas which outlaws abortion, but we will have 25 Texases, 25 states who do the same. Wow. And that means abortion will be banned from, say, Georgia all the way west to Texas, across that whole band of states in the south, uh, kind of a line through the the mountain states uh, from North Dakota all the way through uh, to the south. Um, and I, I um, you know, I, I misspoke a little bit earlier when I said hundreds of thousands of people would be affected in Texas. What I really meant is hundreds of thousands of women will be affected uh, if the court overrules uh, Roe and Casey as we expect them to do. And and really it is when the court overrules Roe and Casey as we expect them to do. Right. So we see that this is, this is happening at this point. It's happening. It's happening. And it's going to likely happen, happen uh, before uh, the end of June uh, when the court uh, goes out of session. So uh, anytime between now and the end of June, I suspect sometime uh, March, April, May, uh, June, any of those months, this could happen. And what it means is we got to start now because the only solution to this is to build back political power. And that is done in the election cycle. That is done in November. Uh, and there are a host of primaries and other elections that are really going to uh, make um, this question paramount. Uh, and one in which uh, we need to be prepared because our opponents 
have been working in the electoral system for 40 years to enforce mm. their will on all of the rest of us. Uh, it's time we uh, do the same, not let them uh, take over our democracy uh, and begin to build that political power back. And I just caution your listeners a bit that I don't think we can expect immediate change. Okay, this is a long-term struggle. This is one that will take some cycles to fix. Uh, until we can uh, control a majority of Congress and a, uh, you know, 60 votes in the Senate, uh, a national solution is not possible. So we need to really focus on the states and begin to, to win back some of these uh, legislatures uh, one, one person at a time. Absolutely. And I think when you say we, we can all agree that it's those of us who believe in freedom, freedom of choice, in, in what the Constitution was supposed to afford every individual, not just those of privilege and of wealth, but those who truly need the protection. I mean, ideally, what these laws are being passed for is with the most marginalized in mind and moving upwards to be all encompassing. And we're in a place now, I argue the points all the time around homelessness. And I say it's it's insane that we pay three to five times more money as every single taxpayer in every single state or province in North America and beyond to keep somebody unhoused than we do for the repercussive costs of keeping them in the street. And that's that's data. That's money. Like we, We're aware of it. It's real. And yet we don't know exactly where the disconnect is between understanding how to move our municipal, our provincial, our federal, our state politicians in the right direction. And we also have this disconnect from people thinking that they can run or that they should run. So there's this huge issue that I see in front of me when I work from Oakland through to Oakville, Ontario, where people are like, that's not for me. I don't, I don't think that that's not really my thing. Like if it's not your thing, we all, we all end up on the other side of this. And we're seeing that in this situation and in many, many more. So you know, I'm always trying to encourage people that if they're passionate about a subject to not just advocate for it on their own level and to, to use their vote and to influence the vote of those around them with good long conversations, with chats, instead of point, pointing fingers and yelling and screaming, both both helpful at this point because we've got to do both. But how do you, again, play the long game? Because it is a very much a long game. Well, so Mark, uh, I, I think there's really three areas we've got to focus on. If you're talking about bans on abortion in t- as many as 26 states and about uh, representing about a third of the women uh, in the country uh, in those states, uh, the first you know, obligation we have is to help those women uh, get to places where abortion is safe and legal mm-hmm. or be able to uh, self-induce abortions through uh, medic- what's known as medication abortion, which is a two-pill regimen. Uh, and I, uh, while I know abortion will be banned, I also know that women are pretty wily about how they can um, find uh, the abortion pill through gray and black markets, uh, through overseas um, uh, providers, etc., uh, all, uh, you know, I'm not advocating committing a crime, but the reality is women have always gotten abortions, even when they were banned in the days before Roe, uh, and medication abortion would be the safest way, the safest alternative and or travel to safe states. So both of those things are really important, helping women, but more important in my view is, is twofold. One is building what I have been calling a badass social justice movement, uh, to be able to make change, because the reality is, is a lot of these restrictions have happened uh, 
without us fighting back in a vocal way. I mean, it was six weeks after the Texas ban uh, was passed before it even made national news. Uh, And that's not acceptable. We have to really be there uh, making noise, loudly saying this isn't all right. Uh, I, I hope that young people who are much more creative than my generation uh, will be able to uh, spread the word and fight back in vocal and uh, newsworthy ways uh, as the first step. And when we come back, I know you have to take a break. I'd love to talk more about the political piece because, of course, that's uh, so critical. The third way to make change. And I can't wait to to dig into that a little further. And just before we go to break, reflecting that um, gray market and black market and really putting our energy behind these movements two blocks outside of my doorstep right here, a a illegal quote unquote overdose prevention site set up during the beginning of the fentanyl crisis. It was completely and utterly illegal. Now we've got a million dollars of safe heroin sitting ready to be approved so that people stop dying. Will it be legislated? No. Will people stay alive? Yes. Will we support it and push heavily? Of course we will. And so in this exact same way, in the interim, we've got to keep people safe and we'll do whatever it takes to make sure that they are. And I, you got to believe in people. And we also, where are the men in this? Is the question, right? Yeah, and Mark, that's a big question, and I, I want, I would love an opportunity to address that. I can't wait for it. We'll be right back with better. back to better. And just before we went to the break, we got excited about the political portion of this and how we can be involved because it does take us. And so Catherine, please jump on in. Well, so Mark, let me start by saying, I think that the question of abortion is not really the full question because in my view, reproductive freedom or preserving reproductive freedom really goes both to preserving the right to choose abortion, but also to create conditions for women to choose families, to choose to Mm. have children, and to raise those children uh, safely and with dignity. And so I think about how we can remove barriers to abortion uh, as a legislative matter, how we can expand access to abortion. But I also think about reproductive freedom in terms of the policies that uh, improve the ability to have kids. And those would be things like uh, safe and affordable birth control, uh, the abortion or the birth control pill available over the counter, um, things like uh, childcare and early childhood education for kids, and and the child tax credit that the Biden administration has passed, things like infertility services, and really addressing an alarming rate of maternal uh, and infant mortality. I mean, the United States. Uh, is 33 out of 36 in the developing world in terms of the level of infant (laughs) mortality. I mean, we are just really bad. And maternal mortality, I mean, black women, African-American women, uh, Native American women, uh, Alaska Native women, those three classes of women are roughly three times more likely to die as a result of pregnancy-related causes as uh, white women. Uh, so we need to do something about systemic racism in our uh, maternity care services and help and, and listen to the problems of, of black women and make sure uh, that 
uh, we begin to reduce that alarming rate. Now, all of those policies, and there's many, many more, but none of them are possible unless we have the political power in the states and in Congress to enact it. So when I say we need to work to develop that political power, it is with that vision of change in mind. But to get that political power, we've got to win elections. And that means not only voting, not only grabbing all your friends and and dragging them to vote at the same time, uh, but working in campaigns. And, you know, liberals that love policy, boy, you could get into a policy one conversation with a liberal any old day. Those progressives, <laughs> we want to we chat about policy, but we don't want to get our hands dirty by supporting somebody uh, for office. That's got to change. Uh, we've got Absolutely. to uh, bury the things we dislike about candidates and begin to work for the better uh, the better ones, because otherwise our opponents uh, take over and they do what they're doing now, which is passing bans on abortion and a variety of other really, really awful things. Um, that means, there, are, Mark, in the United States, there's over 500,000 elected positions. We ought to be running for all of them, all right, from school board to town council to a state legislature to sheriff. Congress. Yeah, to sheriff all of those, the people who run the election system, the ward leaders, up and down that ballot. We ought to have people. Because the reality is a lot of those positions are elected because nobody's, run, uh, you know, just they're a free-for-all. The, whoever signs up wins because there's no opponents. Correct. Uh, that's got to stop. And frankly, yeah. women uh, and progressive men have got to step up and join this fight and themselves run for office. I'm on the board of a group called Vote Run Lead, which does a great job of training women uh, to run for office at all levels of our political uh, system. And, uh, you know, it's, it's inspirational to see who's stepping up, but we've got to do it at a much higher rate. And I was going to point directly to that. So that and also to your work with the Athena Center for Leadership at, at Bernard, which is that same sort of we're pushing towards growing the support for the leaders that we need. And it, it's so critical. And so I think there's there's roles for everybody in this. And before we go to the next segment, I wanted to talk briefly about in my family history, uh, my great-grandfather worked here on the downtown east side, which is the unceded territories of the Squamish, Musqueam, Snohomish, Tsleil-Waututh peoples, Vancouver, BC. Uh, and we found out after my grandfather's passing that he was one of the first abortion doctors on these streets, performing those illegally and holding that line and why I was drawn to this place energetically. There's zero question for me of why now. I found out one of the businesses that I established that works for women and children fleeing violence was six blocks from where his office was. Um, in the late 1800s, early 19s. So knowing that this fight has been consistent, but it has, I read a quote from you that says, I've always been inspired by the women who risk their lives to support others. And I, I love that, just the succinctness of this, we actually have to risk something. My great-grandfather ended up incarcerated, ended up beaten, institutionalized, and died uh, in, in incarcerated for this work. There is... I'm so incredibly proud of that. I don't feel like he was a victim in any way. I feel like he stood in his power for something that he deeply cared and believed in. There was absolutely nothing wrong with standing on those front lines. Where are our front lines now? Now we're doing it in building leadership, but where else can we take this fight, Catherine? 
Well, uh, you know, Mark, uh, unfortunately, I think people feel like they're doing something if they tweet about it or they put it on social media. And that works for a, as a vehicle for informing people about what's at stake, but it doesn't work for making long-term change until we are able to be in the faces of elected officials and make sure that they know they will lose their seat unless they do uh, the right thing. Uh, they won't change. And frankly, I don't think they'll change even with that. The only way to change on this issue is to replace them uh, with people who are champions of choice. Uh, because the, the reality is, is the, the sides are just too firm. Now, the reality is that 75% of Americans believe that the decision around abortion ought to remain between a woman and her doctor and should not be regulated by government. That's really? a huge number of people. And uh, another, another vote, it's, you know, another survey shows about 65, 66% of Americans believe Roe ought to be reaffirmed. So the numbers are with us. Uh, the question is, how important is it among all the other things you care about? Right. Uh, and for those who oppose us, uh, abortion is like really high on the scheme of things. Uh, for those who are with us, it's less important, and we need to drive that up. We need to make sure that people are voting on this issue, that they uh, care about this issue in order to work in campaigns. And uh, until we're able to, what I call the saliency, and increase the saliency level of this issue, uh, we will never win, even if we are in the majority. Beautiful. And I love to hear those numbers, but they also are the gut-wrenching ones of where were you? Like, I know where you were when they, the pollsters called or when you stepped up in the shopping center, but where were you when the ballot dropped? And so it really is about getting those issues prioritized. And by prioritizing them, I think humanizing them. And I think in our next segment, we'll dive more into who benefits here. Because I've been a direct benefactor of this being legal, safe, and easy multiple times in my life. And I know that almost everybody in my circles has too. So we need to stand unified. How are we going to do that uh, when we come back with Catherine Colbert? You're on better. Welcome back to Better We're with my guest today, Catherine Colbert, and. Uh, a really powerful sentiment from her TED Talk, which we will link out for you to enjoy and to share widely because it is a, a great roadmap to where we've come from and where we need to go. Uh, one of the quotes from that is, wanting to ban abortion is all about controlling women, full stop. And I'd love you to start there, if you don't mind, Catherine, on this, on this segment. Well, thanks, Mark. You know, I wrote a book called Controlling Women, um, and that's because, in my view, that's what this issue is about. Our opponents like to say this is about protection of fetal life or protection of women's health or, uh, most obviously, the protection of religious liberty, and it's none of those things. I mean, if we were really talking about uh, protection of religious liberty, we'd look at the fact that Many, many religions around the world support the right to choose abortion. They believe it should be available in a whole wide range of circumstances. Really what's going on is some religions are imposing their views on the rest of us, and we can't, we can't let that happen. 
It's not really about protection, protecting uh, fetal life. As I said earlier, we are just have an alarming rate of infant mortality in this country. We don't do anything for children once they are born. Those people who uh, oppose abortion are against all of those policies. So really, uh, let's be real here. If you cared about fetal life, you'd care about protecting uh, pregnant women much, much uh, more um, than we are currently doing, and uh, that's not happening. Um, and it, it's not about protecting women's health. Abortion is a very, very safe uh, medical procedure, safer than childbirth, uh, one of the safest medical procedures that are there. So really, in my view, what this is about is protecting uh, the ability of some people to choose to have children and not others, controlling women's ability to make important decisions about their lives and not trusting them with the, uh, the, the, the probably the most important decision in their life is whether, when, and with whom they have children. And mm. uh, I think that is really what's at issue. And in, until women are able to uh, control those decisions, they can't be equal within our society. They can't participate at the same level that men are able to do so. And frankly, they can't uh, have the, the fundamental human rights of bodily integrity and autonomy that uh, all of us ought to have. Absolutely. And when we say all of us, of course, we're being um, dominant into the male and female here, but we do mean everybody in, in every lifestyle choice that you have in this reproductive choice. It just needs to be on the table. Absolutely, Mark. And the, the reality is, is that the issues of abortion and reproductive freedom more generally uh, really go a lot to questions of sexuality, questions of identity, questions of racial uh, disparity uh, and racism. And so you can't separate these important fundamental freedoms from other freedoms around racial justice and freedoms about LGBTQ uh, plus um, Activism, And one of the things that I feel really strongly about is in order to win on all of those issues, uh, we have to be united because the, re the, the reality is, is once the bad guys stop coming after abortion because they've you know, done as much as they can do and that's, you know, they'll, they'll be there pretty soon, they're going to come after trans people. They're going to come after LGBT equality. They're going to try to knock holes for religious exemptions for civil rights laws. I mean, the reality is, is they don't stop right. uh, because this is about control of their views on the rest, imposing their views on the rest of us, controlling important decisions. They won't stop. Um, and so we have to be united in our opposition. Absolutely. And I think when we discuss who can get involved and how they can get involved, fear has dictated so, so much of the inactivity. People are scared. They don't know. They, they're not educated on how the system works. They're in fear that if they act or they speak up, that their life changes, that the people who sit at the top of their, their leadership whether it's a boss at the grocery store or the person who they work directly for in other places may align with these values so that they need to be quiet. We've seen all of that sort of power and will enforced. But you know, Mark, I also think that we, uh, women too often have given men a pass on this. Okay. Um, and you, you raised this question earlier about uh, what's the role of men. The reality is uh, one in four women in this country uh, will have an abortion sometime in their lifetime. And 90 percent of those abortions are decided as a with women with their partners. Now, some aren't, and we don't want 
abusive partners to, for example, be able to control that decision for women. But the reality is 90% of those uh, are uh, made in relationships, uh, mostly heterosexual relationships. So men are very, very involved in these decisions. And for some reason, I think too often we've given men a pass to say, this isn't my issue. Well, they you asked earlier, who benefits? They benefit. Uh, because their their uh, decisions have been respected as well. And so it seems to me uh, when we're talking about building a social justice movement, about getting politically active, I'm talking about not just women here, but women and men. And since men have so much more political power uh, than we do, I think it's time uh, that they step up and, and begin to uh, call for change. Absolutely. And you've said that coalition is queen and we need to find our allies. Well, we find our allies standing next to us often, and then we build our circles out from there. And as you said, pushing our friends to get into those voting lines and into those booths, social media, while it isn't an action, it should be a great motivator. And we've seen it be so if we could just sharpen the tip of that spear a little bit more. And this is what the hope is for exactly where you and I are sitting right now is helping folks understand how to make a better place, a better world for everybody involved in it, and really succinctly understand the issues. And we are certainly doing that here today. Um, we have a few more moments left with the show. I could do this for a solid three more hours and happily scribble notes as I am on this side. But Catherine, is there anything else top of mind that you really wanted to share with, with the audience and with me today? Well, you know, Mark, uh, my message is really a bleak one in the sense that Roe and Casey are about to be overturned, but it's not a hopeless one. Okay. Uh, and I think that what we need to know is it won't be immediate, but hard work uh, can make real change. Uh, and if I do one thing today is inspire people to take action, to jump in and help a candidate get elected, to contribute to abortion funds, to help pay for women to get abortions, contribute to electoral campaigns, because uh, they matter. Uh, and they matter uh, for a whole range of reasons. But most importantly, uh, good elected officials save people's lives, and we need to have them in office. Absolutely. And have you got some favorite allies that you can point us towards Some people that you're just like, I adore this, this human, and they're doing incredible things that we can also dig into? So, uh, Mark, we wrote a book called Controlling Women, What You Can Do Now to Save Reproductive Freedom. Uh, on our website, Controlling Women, the book, there's a list of all kinds of organizations that uh, are working in this area. Uh, if you are interested in politics, uh, getting involved either with the Democratic Party or with politicians in your uh, particular area is critical. And the reason I say uh, think blue is because the party's committed to reproductive choice and our opponents, the Republicans, are not. Even though there are good Republicans and bad Democrats as a matter of power, it, it aligns basically between red and blue. So get involved in some campaigns. Uh, go knock on doors. Uh, that's a mm. critical thing to do. And, uh, you know, springtime's coming. Primaries are about to happen. You know, knock on doors. It makes a huge, huge difference in terms of winning elections. I love that. And the connectivity to the issues really does come in conversation and in, in real life. And I can't say enough thank yous uh, for fitting us into your incredibly busy schedule. Uh, the resources will be shared far and wide of how you can get involved uh, and Again, I encourage everyone to, to follow up 
watch this TED Talk, share it with folks because it's incredibly succinct, as you would expect from one of the greatest litigators of our time. But it also is full of the emotion that we all need to have on this issue. So thank you for your time today. If you are listening to the podcast, I have one more question for Catherine before we let her go. Uh, But this has been better. Find us where you find us. Welcome back to Better. Uh, You are now listening to us on one of your favorite streaming services, whichever that may be. And we just had an explosive and educational uh, hour with Catherine Colbert. Catherine, I wanted to, before I let you go, uh, because I know this is a a one chance, I wanted to understand a little bit more about you. I've heard all about the issues. I know how how much work you've done, and we're all very grateful for that work. But when did you first realize personally that you were going to be a leader in the fight for women's rights, period, along with reproductive rights, but just rights? You know, Mark, some of these things just kind of creep up on you. Uh, And uh, I've always been very interested in civil rights and civil liberties and working for people who uh, needed help. I started my career as a lawyer uh, working for legal services and helping tenants uh, who'd been, who were being evicted from their homes. Um, but early on in my career, I started working for the Women's Law Project. And there, the first day on the job, I uh, ended up representing the abortion clinics uh, in the city to try to fight a restriction on abortion that was up for a vote in the city council. Uh, and I, I, I literally walked into the office. They say, oh, go, do, go on down to city council, try to figure out what to say on my, um, on my way to the, to, to the uh, public hearing. And we defeated that bill. Um, and I uh, started representing the clinics in Pennsylvania uh, from then on and uh, went to the Supreme Court on their behalf twice, uh, but also started working on the national level uh, at the ACLU and as the founder, one of the co-founders of the Center for Reproductive Rights. Um, so I, you know, I, it, it's interesting when you, um, when your clients are doing the hard work, when they really are the heroes, uh, the lawyers really just follow their lead. And I was really lucky to have an extraordinary group of clients uh, from all over the country uh, who showed me how important these rights are to the lives and health of women. And um, I'm incredibly indebted to them uh, for uh, bringing me along on their journey. Having been on uh, in a courtroom more times than I would like to admit, and having had the tip of the spear of a brilliant litigator helping keeping me safe uh, and my future safe, I am certain they feel exactly the same way about you. Uh, there is no scarier place that I can imagine being in the world than the thought of losing not only your freedoms and your rights, uh, but to have somebody who is incredibly well-educated, incredibly articulate, and also about you is, is so important. And so last one is, I know you touched on it briefly, but what, what's giving you hope these days? Well, I think, Mark, what's, uh, what I'm hoping will give me hope is that we'll see a real burst of activism. Um, I think we're just starting to see people finally understand the light bulb is going off that uh, our rights are gone. Uh, but I think uh, my hope is that that will trigger a real change by seeing people become much more active. And everywhere I go, I think I've done uh, 65 talks in the last couple of months around the book. And everywhere I go, people are saying, what can I do to help? 
what you know what what's my job here going forward, and particularly young people. Um, and let me just give you uh, the, one of the most hopeful things I heard about recently was um, I was doing an event for a Planned Parenthood in Nebraska. Now, Nebraska is not a place we think of as a progressive bastion of, of uh, legislative uh, activity. Uh, but uh, Nebraska has what's called a unicameral legislature. They, they don't have a House and a Senate. They just have one body. And it has 34 members. And currently, there are 16 pro-choice champions in that legislature. Wow. They only need to flip one vote to make sure that women are safe in their state. So, uh, and of course, uh, win the governor's race. Um, but I do think that gives me hope, right? Because the margins are thin in lots of places. We can make change by flipping nine states here or preserving a governor there or flip, you know, think about Texas, right? right. Think about the message we would send in Texas if we could win the governor's race in Texas or yeah. we could win the governor's race in Georgia. I mean, those are places which not just solidify rights in those locations, but sends a message to the bad guys that they got to go home uh, and sends a message to our people that we have hope. So that's where I get my hope from. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, the millions of Americans who are affected by this issue uh, take action and, and step up to the plate. Absolutely. And no matter where in the world you are listening to this, this affects you. We are one planet. We are one group of people. And if you have a voice, if you have a platform, if you have the ability to convene people and have important conversations, do that. We do it up north. We do it all over the world. And I never look at these things personally as a Texas issue. I look at this as a women's issue. I look at this as a men's issue, as a human's issue, as another's issue. And so know that, Catherine, we will be fighting right alongside you. I certainly have more fodder after our conversation today. Uh, and I'm just very, very honored to have spent the time with you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mark. Pleasure to be here.